Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Let's turn to Luke chapter 5. We'll pick up at verse 12. Luke 5, verse 12. grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. While he, Jesus, was in one of the cities, behold, there was a man covered with leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And he stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he ordered him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, just as Moses commanded as a testimony to them. But the news about him was spreading even farther, and large crowds were gathering to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would, by your spirit, illumine our minds to understand your word. And Father, in in hearing it and hearing it preached, I pray that we would go away and be doers of your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. So we turn now to a passage that shows Jesus' power over disease. In this particular case, Jesus heals a man who was, as the passage says, covered in or uh, full of leprosy. There were severe and less severe cases of leprosy. It could affect a part of the body. It could affect the whole body. And as it progressed, it got worse and worse. Uh, This man seems to have had a very bad case of leprosy because it says he was covered in or full of leprosy. The disease of leprosy was not uncommon during ancient times. It still afflicts some today. Uh, Apparently in India and China and parts of Africa, they still separate people afflicted with leprosy into colonies separated from the general population. Um, Though these colonies are very few and leprosy is treatable uh, with modern medicines, uh, today leprosy is called Hansen's disease. It's named after the physician who who identified the bacteria that caused the disease. And um, the disease affects the upper respiratory tract, but is... It's better known for the, the lesions, the seeping lesions that, um, that form on the skin. The Old Testament scriptures say much about leprosy. They perhaps, uh, our, our scriptures perhaps give a broader definition of leprosy than our modern Hansen's disease type, but certainly there's overlap. Here are a few uh, more details about leprosy from Uh, from the Answers in Genesis site. Here's what they say about it. Its symptoms start in the skin 
and peripheral nervous system outside the brain and spinal cord, right? Then spread to other parts such as the hands, the feet, the face, and the earlobes. Patients with leprosy experience disfigurement of the skin and bones, twisting of the limbs, and curling of the fingers to form the characteristic claw hand. Facial changes include thickening of the outer ear and the collapsing of the nose. Tumor-like growths called lepromas may form on the skin and in the respiratory tract and the optic nerve may deteriorate, leading to blindness. The largest number of deformities develop from loss, listen to this, the largest number of deformities develop from loss of pain sensation due to the extensive nerve damage. For instance, inattentive patients can pick up a cup of boiling water without flinching at all. So you lose pain, you begin disfiguring yourself in a, a whole host of ways. It was the work of Dr. Paul Brand with leprosy patients that illustrated in part the value of sensing pain in this world. The leprosy bacillus destroys nerve endings that carry pain signals. Therefore, patients with advanced leprosy experience a total loss of physical pain. When these people cannot sense touch or pain, they tend to injure themselves or be unaware of injury caused by an outside agent, which goes to show you how important pain really is, right? Pain keeps you from, from destroying yourself and injuring yourself. And uh, just imagine, uh, imagine working on, you know, a car engine and not being able to feel pain, and you bust open your skin in four or five different ways doing that, and you have no awareness of it, and you're bleeding. Um, but just think of all the situations that would, that would apply to. In Leviticus 13, we read about a series of tests the priests were to use to diagnose whether someone had leprosy. The priests had to scrutinize the infection and determine whether it was growing or shrinking. And in the final analysis, if they determined it was leprosy, well, that meant a dramatic new lifestyle for the one afflicted with the infectious disease. Leviticus 13.45, As for the leper who has the infection, his clothes shall be torn, and the hair of his head shall be uncovered, and he shall cover his mustache and cry, Unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean all the days during which he has the infection. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. So those diagnosed as having leprosy were to announce, announce their uncleanness if they happened to be around other people, warning people that they were about to come into the presence of somebody with leprosy. Imagine having to do that. That experience, but really that experience had to be uncommon for them because they were mandated to live outside the camp. They were mandated to live alone in, in colonies with other people who had leprosy. And just think of that. Think of the struggle of that, right? To live away from your family, to live away from your church, to live away from the temple or synagogue that you attended, to live a solitary existence away from the people of God. They were driven out of the camp and they were forced then to live in poverty. They could not work. They were completely dependent upon those who would bring them mercy. 
those who would bring them food, those who would bring them water, those who would um, dare come close to the camp, right? So such was this man who came up to Jesus, the Son of God. Why was he in the city? I, I don't know. Uh, perhaps Jesus was on the outskirts of the city and stumbled upon this man, or perhaps throwing, uh, throwing off the rules, throwing caution to the wind, uh, this man went into the city because Jesus was there, and he had heard that Jesus had been healing. He'd spent months and likely years away from civilization, announcing unclean, unclean to any who might have come close to him, and now the Son of God, who had healed others, was was in his city, was close. Now just for a moment, think back to the immediately preceding scene. We didn't, we didn't read this, but Peter had, seen, Peter had seen the power of God in that great catch of fish. You remember that. How did Peter respond to Jesus? He, he basically said, unclean, right? I'm a man of sin. Um... <clears throat> Go away from me, for I am a sinful man, Peter says. He basically responded by shouting unclean like the leper was supposed to do. Uh, he's, but Peter doesn't have in mind physical uncleanness like the leper, but a spiritual uncleanness. Peter is afflicted with the spiritual leprosy right? that we all have, which is sin. Sin is the presence, sin in the presence of Jesus, sin in the presence of holiness, just like the diseased in the presence of the healthy, provokes a response. And the reaction in both instances should be one of separation, and it should be one of being locked down. The leper, though, longs to be in the presence of God to know physical healing. Physical healing. He longs, as the passage says, to be made clean. He's lived alone. He's lived among diseased people. He longs to come back into the camp. He wants to be back with his family and his friends and his church. He's announced his uncleanness so that others might run away from him. But now, he, having heard of Jesus' power, he's going to get close to him. He's going to get close to him. And then finally, being near Jesus, he falls at his feet in reverence, and he makes a humble request. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. If you are willing, you can make me clean. It's, there's, a both a, there's a wonderful deference and a wonderful confidence in those words of the leper, right? First, the deference. He says, if you are willing, if it's your will, he knows that it's God's prerogative whether he's healed or not. It's completely up to God's will. In other words, God's will is not forced by anything outside of God. If God desires for this man to be healed, he will be healed. If God desires for this man not to be healed, he will not be healed. So he has the right perspective on God's will. It's, it is another example in Scripture of someone not playing the victim. Victims make demands of God. Victims make demands of God and believe that they have leverage with the Almighty because of their victimhood, right? He could have come to Jesus and said, I've spent three years and, and five months and 
eight days and three hours suffering and away from the world, don't you think that's enough, God? Don't you, God, feel any obligation to heal me? Right? I mean, enough already. Heal me. Enough. Now, the leper in humility and godly deference says, if you are willing, if, if you are willing. He does not consider his sufferings as something to be used to force God's hand. He does not consider his groanings as having earned for himself God's healing. He does not throw his leprosy in the face of God and and bitterly demand a change of God's will. In humility and godly deference, he simply says, if you are willing. Leaving open the possibility that God may not be willing. There are times when I feel my own victimhood, right? There are times when we all feel our own victimhood. Sometimes I'm, I'm sick, my, my gut is not doing well, and God is, is making me unproductive, right? I got work to do, God. This is unproductive. My sufferings are unproductive, right? I, I, and I approach God with a, don't you think it makes more sense that I would be healthy now so that I could do this and that? Isn't this counterproductive, that sort of attitude? And my wife corrects me with, this is what God has given you to do. Which is being unproductive and suffering. A victim protests at God's will. This leper resolved to accept God's will. And so he's not playing the victim. Second, notice the confidence of the leper. It's expressed when he says, you can make me clean. You can do it. You can make me clean. In his deference, he knows that God must will his healing, but in his confidence, he knows that God can will it. Right? It is within God's power to make him clean, and that's, that's the confidence of faith. Right? That's the confidence that comes with faith, that he has humility and faith. God can do it. There is nothing, not a debilitating, ugly disease like leprosy that can't be dealt with by God's power. And the, the, the leper expresses faith in, in simply saying, you can make me clean. If the victim is in danger of never accepting his or her circumstances, whether or not God heals, it is the skeptic who does not believe that God can give a leper smooth and healthy skin. The skeptic would say, God can't do it. The victim won't defer to God's will, and the skeptic won't believe God is able to will anything. But this leper defers to God's will, come what may, and confides in God's power. He's neither victim nor skeptic, and often we're both victim and skeptic, aren't we? It's, it's really twisted. We protest with God about His will, Make, you know, why this? You know, why we play the victim, but then in the back of our heads, don't think he's able to do anything about our circumstances anyway. Right? You think prayer falls to the ground before it reaches God's ears? We consider our, ourselves victims of the will of a powerless God. Just think of how the leper's words would change if he was not deferential and was not confident in God's power. He would have said, 
to Jesus, if you are nice, you would help me get myself over this. I mean, just like, it's just nothing. But there is no mealy-mouthedness here. He says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Humility and faith. Wonderfully, Jesus is not, um, is not mealy-mouthed either. In response to the man's request, he acts. He reaches out his hand and touches this man. Probably the first touch this man has had in years. And he says, I am willing to be cleansed. And immediately he no longer had leprosy. He was healed. It was the Lord's will that this man receive healing. What joy he must have felt. Calvin uh, remarks on the simple act of Jesus stretching out his hand to the leper. He says, as Christ possesses such purity as to repel all filth and defilement, he does not by touching either pollute himself with leprosy or become a transgressor of the law. When he took upon him our flesh, he did not only deign to touch as with his hand, but was united to one in the same body with ourselves that we might be flesh of his flesh. Not, nor did he only stretch out his arm to us, but descended from heaven even to hell, and yet contracted no stain from it, but retained his innocence, took away all our impurities, and sprinkled us with his holiness." By his word alone, he might have healed the leper. Notice that, by his word alone. He could have said, you're cleansed. I am willing, you're clean. By his word alone, he might have healed the leper, but he applied at the same time the touch of his hand to express the feeling of compassion. Nor ought this to excite our wonders, since he chose to take upon him our flesh that he might cleanse us from our sins. The stretching out of his hand was therefore an expression and token of infinite grace and goodness. What we indolently read and coldly pass by cannot be duly weighed without great astonishment. The Son of God was so far from disdaining to talk to the leper that he even stretched out his hand to touch that uncleanness. Touch is so important, isn't it? Touch is so important. Jesus, again, could have done this with just words, but he, he and, and given the context, given the Pharisees looking on, probably watching to see whether Jesus would, would defile himself, right, by touching this man with the leprosy, and yet Jesus touches him. And he's healed. He's healed by that touch. And of course, Calvin expands on that. How glorious that God would take on the flesh. How glorious that God would humble himself and come down and live among us and have the same sort of body that we have. And he just starts vamping on that topic. But here, to this leper, how sweet it would have been to to feel the touch of another human being. After not after being separated for so long. Now think about this. With the leper, God was willing to heal him. With the Apostle Paul, the Lord's will was different. Right? Paul would have heard the Lord say, no, what I have given you is what I have given you. 
Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. And concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Right? What was best for God's glory was that Paul not be relieved of this thorn in the flesh, whatever it was. We don't know what it was. We can only speculate. But the glory of the leper's request was that I believe he would have been willing to accept the same result from the hand of the Lord. Had Jesus said those words to the leper that he said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. I think the leper would have praised the Lord. He would have echoed Job, the Lord gave, the Lord has taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. Yet Jesus responds, not with a no this time, but with a yes. Yes. Perhaps I overemphasized the one side of the equation, but being content with God's no, uh, which is important. But the other side of the equation, the power of God immediately changing our situation is also a reality. Have you experienced a quick yes from God? Has he supplied you with money? in miraculous ways, right in the nick of time, right? You had no idea what you were going to do. Has he healed you of chronic illnesses, though you may be left with others, right? Has he protected you in the midst of, of oncoming 18-wheelers? There been a few situations I've been on where I, th- I think, no way I should have gotten out of that, Right? Has, has he resolved family tensions in ways that simply don't have any earthly explanation? He said yes to you when you said to him, if you are willing, you can. Whatever. If you are willing, you can provide me with a new job. You can free me from addiction to pleasure. You can give me a new heart. You can give me a loving marriage. You can... Uh, break my heart over my sin. You can give me happiness after a miscarriage. You can lead back a prodigal son or a daughter from slopping pigs. You can heal my cancer. You can give me a heart of forgiveness toward my mother and father. And has and and he says at times, I am willing. Be cleansed. So this is the very this is the experience every Christian has had in regard to one thing particularly, and that's in regard to his or her sin. Right? This is the grace of God in our sin. Though He may discipline us for our good through this life with difficult things, we have the great pleasure of knowing that in regard to the very bulk of the sin which God hates, Jesus Christ has said, I am willing, be cleansed. And there, there will be other times when 
He says no. In regard to the rescue of souls even. But there are times when he says, I'm willing to be cleansed. Our spiritual leprosy has been healed, and in this regard, all the no's of God's after the initial yes, all the no's of God that come after that initial yes be cleansed from your sin, don't make victims of us. Right? They make us sons of the Father with a wonderfully wise Father who knows what is good for us and what is best for us. Or, you're just happy being a leper. Right? You've, you've, you've perhaps lived your life as a spiritual leper, and it is not that you are angry at God or that you doubt His power. You just prefer to be unclean. You prefer to be a leper, prefer the rottenness of your flesh to being cleansed and healed, right? Some like being sick, and some like their sin sickness, some like their sins, and they'll use their days to explore their leprosy, right, rather than turning to God and asking Him to heal them. After Jesus heals this man, he orders him not to tell anybody about his healing. Rather, he was to go to the temple priests and make an offering following these Old Testament ceremonial laws. It's very interesting that Jesus would have him do that, though he knew such laws would end with his death on the cross. He had respect, right? Jesus had respect for the laws of his father. And he commanded this man to do this. Why? Why was it to fulfill? Was it to? um, Was it to? uh, You know, make sure that this cleansing stuck. No, it says so that he could go testify to the priests about Jesus' power. He was going to go there and he was going to say, "Look, I was cleansed." make these offerings. Who did it? Jesus did it. Jesus cleansed me. Jesus, the Son of God, cleansed me. And he'll be testifying to the priests about this this power. But why would Jesus tell the man to tell no one what had happened? Seems that Jesus didn't want it proclaimed from the housetops that he had done this. In the parallel passage in the Gospel of Mark, we learn the reason why Jesus told the man not to tell. The reason was not because he was trying to hide his messianic identity or he was trying to um, he was trying to test the man. I don't think it was either of those. The reason was that it would make it impossible for him to enter cities. It's very practical. If people hear about this, they're all going to flock to me and I'm no longer going to be able to go in the cities. It's simply that. Mark 1, 4, uh, 143 to 45, and he sternly warned him and immediately sent him away. And he said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. But he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the news around to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city, but stayed in unpopulated areas, and they were coming to him from everywhere. 
no longer will no longer able to go in, but he had to stay out in desert places. Now we give this man a pass because we consider obedience to Jesus something that is optional. Jesus had looked this man in the eye, and as it says in Mark, warned him sternly not to go do that. Imagine if the man who had just healed you, the man who is God in the flesh, sternly warned you to your face. It should have led to silence. It should have led to his sobriety. He should have simply gone to the priest straight away, not said a word to anybody, but he disobeys. And because of that disobedience, the people were... Um, <clears throat> more likely to do something than they, were, they did before. They would flock to Jesus so that they could see a sign rather than to hear his word. That is, in fact, what happened in Nazareth. They wanted him to do miracles in their midst that he had done in Capernaum, and when he didn't, they would not listen to his word. Right? And they wanted to dispatch with them quickly. It seems, it's such a seemingly little thing, right? The man was just excited and went and talked about what had happened to him. I mean, how it would be hard, right? Even a stern rebuke from Almighty God. For those who are weak in the flesh, it would be very difficult at that point to be quiet, to hold within himself the joy and the just the freedom from pain. But our misguided zeal can be the same way sometimes. We have similar misguided zeal. We mislead others when we point them anywhere but to the Word of God. We can point them towards signs and wonders, miracles of healing like, like Benny Hinn simulates, right? and lose sight of what God says in His Word. It's so tempting to go after the bells and whistles and the bright, shiny objects that we begin thinking the Word of God is hopelessly boring. Our flesh always prefers miracles to doctrine. It is always a temptation to seek healing for the body and neglect the healing of our souls. We are religious about our, our, our diets and negligent in our duties to let the Word of God dwell within us richly. Right, And yet this man should have listened to the word of God and been silent and gone to the priest and let his testimony be located there. He was going to get to tell some people. It was to be the priest. Right? He was going to get to tell some people, but he went blabbing his mouth to everybody in disobedience to a direct command of God. The healed man was told by Jesus to be a witness to the temple priest, but he took it, he, he, again, he took it upon himself to be a missionary to everybody. He should have been content with where Jesus had restricted him, but he was not. But the glory of this passage is that Jesus was willing to heal this man, and he reached out and he placed his hand upon this man who had no, not known physical touch. It shows us the compassion that we need to show toward other people, right? It shows us that that um, it, it it shows us that that we should even um, touch to encourage, right? Touch to encourage. 
That physical touch, being, being embodied people, means something that, that just words don't do. Right? I'm sorry for your loss. But, but, a, but hugging somebody probably says more to them and, and shedding tears with them probably says more to them than anything that you could say. The last part of this passage, 15 and 16, but the news about him was spreading even further and large crowds were gathering to hear him and to be healed of their sickness. But Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. Jesus got tired. Jesus got tired when there were so many people coming to him to be healed, right? He spent the whole day feeding people and and healing people, and he would go away and he would go into the wilderness and people would follow him there. And he would see that they were like sheep without a shepherd, right? And he would heal more. And yet there were times when he was exhausted. And what did he do when he was exhausted? He went to his father by himself and prayed. That was where he found rest. Just to be with his father in prayer. So if you're going from one thing to the next thing and you're doing good work and you're serving others and, and you're, you're uh, pouring energy out into others, you will get tired. And when you get tired, you should withdraw to be by yourself with your father in a deserted place for the purpose of praying to him. And then, and then you will have rest, right? And then you can wake up the next day and go back to, to loving people and serving people.